Did you know that we spend a whopping one third of our lives in bed? That's a lot of time and it's crucial to make sure we're spending it wisely. That's why I'm excited to introduce Avocado Mattress, your go-to destination for eco organic mattresses that will revolutionize your sleep experience. Avocado Mattress offers a wide range of options to suit your budget and lifestyle, from the radically affordable to the decadently plush. And you know what sets Avocado Mattress apart? All their mattresses are certified organic, which means that they're made of the purest materials and free from harmful chemicals. And the best part about this, these mattresses sleep cool. Organic materials are more breathable, providing you with the ultimate comfort and temperature regulation. But Avocado Mattress goes beyond just providing exceptional sleep. They believe in giving back. That's why 1% of their sales are donated to environmental and social causes. So when you choose Avocado, you're not only investing in your well-being, but also making a positive impact on the world around us. Ready to transform your sleep experience? Head over to avocadomattress.com where you'll find an extensive selection of organic mattresses designed to meet your unique needs. Whether you're a budget-conscious shopper or someone who craves luxury, Avocado Mattress has got you covered. And for a limited time, you can save 10% off of your mattress purchase by using the code BEWELL10 at checkout. That's right, a special discount just for our podcast listeners. So why wait? Upgrade your sleep and make every night count with Avocado Mattress. Don't settle for ordinary sleep when you can have extraordinary sleep. Visit avocadomattress.com where sweet dreams are made of organic wool, cotton, and latex. Better for you, better for the planet. Too often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Sis podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. How has life been treating you? But more importantly, how have you been treating yourself? I hope that you guys are well and that you've been giving yourself the appropriate love and attention and care that you give others. I have been well. Um, I lost my voice last week. I had laryngitis for the first time in my life, so I had no voice and that was so frustrating. But I am back. I'm still a little raspy, but I am back overall. So I am doing good and um, I'm excited for today's conversation. It is so timely, um, these women that I spoke to. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping, as they say, and just want to remind you that if you find this podcast to be the least bit entertaining or insightful or helpful at all, please um, leave us a rating and a review on whatever app you are listening on, especially uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. By uh, Spotify, we really have very little ratings. <laughs> so please, if you listen on Spotify, do me two favors. Um, review and leave a rating. So I think it's just actually just leave a rating on Spotify. So just hit the five, please. Um, and also follow along. I was looking at my, my, my stats and it says that a lot of people return, but they're not actually following the podcast. Listen, it costs you nothing to follow. So hit follow or yeah, hit follow on whatever you are listening on. That way, whenever a new up, uh, episode is uploaded, it'll automatically download to your phone and you'll, you won't have to come search. So yes, please do that. And of course, if you find anything that could be helpful to a sister, to a friend, to a coworker, colleague, whatever, please share the episode. Um, yeah. So that is my spiel for today. <laughs> Um, so let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. 
So on May 25th, 2020, George Floyd lost his life at the hands of Minneapolis police. That sparked outrage and international conversations about race relations, privilege, and the lasting and tangible effects of colonialism and white supremacy ideologies in the U.S. and abroad. At the time, the energy was electrifying, and I was so confident that there'd be some change. I wouldn't imagine that countless corporations and individuals who'd pledged to be better and do better would now act like that period in time never even happened. Sometimes I ask myself, did that all happen or was it just a fever dream? So the conversations I've noticed have stopped happening like they, like they were at one point. And that brings us to today's conversation. Today's conversation features um, podcasters and the authors of Real Friends Talk About Race. Real Friends Talk About Race is an essential guide for those who want to have stronger interracial relationships, whether it's with friends, colleagues, or loved ones. We all know that having conversations about race is uncomfortable, but in order for progress to happen between individuals and our communities, it is so important that we speak openly and honestly. The hosts of The Kinswomen, Yuzu and Hannah, use their own friendship and experiences from different racial backgrounds to offer guidance on navigating these layered conversations. The duo share their perspectives on the ways in which culture, history, and white supremacy had prevented us from having the skills to build trust and healthy relationships across race. So I am so excited to bring this conversation to you today. Um, when I received the book in the mail, I was super, super excited. I was just like, yes, this book needs to happen. This would be actually a really great book club discussion. Um, people need to be having these conversations amongst themselves and with other races. In order for us to make progress, we have to name the thing and address the thing. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really excited. Oh, speaking of book club, Be Well Sis has launched a book club. So we have, it's a book club <laughs> and it is natural. I feel like it was the natural progression of the podcast because I have so many amazing authors who come on here. I am a reader. I love books myself, but I realized that things are made clearer in community. So I am inviting you to join the book club. I will put the link down below in the show notes and also follow along on Instagram because I will be giving away three copies of our first book, which will be announced sometime this week. Um, so our first book, I will be giving away three copies of it. And yeah, so join below. So if you're interested, I hope you are. Join us. It's going to be a good time. We'll probably meet around once a month and I'm hoping to have authors come and speak so we can have Q&A sessions with them as well. That is in the works. But yes, with all that being said, thank you so, so much for joining. I'm so glad you're here. Be well, sis. All right. So today I am super excited to have the authors of Real Friends Talk About Race, Bridging the Gaps Through Uncomfortable Conversations with us, um, Izut and, and Hannah. Thank you so much for being here. How are you guys today? Great, great. Thank you so much for having us, Cassandra. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. So I just want to jump right into the conversation. How did this book come up? Because yes, the title is so true. Like we real friends do have uncomfortable conversations, especially about race. But what inspired the the book? Was it your friendship or? 
so I think that to understand the book, we have to like explain where it came from. It came from conversations that um, were nurtured through our podcast, uh, the Kinjoom podcast. And so um, Hannah and I met in a co-working space for women. And basically I had been, members had been invited to come and have this conversation, which literally was named How to Bridge the Gap Between White Women and Women of Color. And so I went and I was so nervous that day because I knew I was going to hear crazy things. Like my body was just telling me that it was just going to be uncomfortable and like just, um, just awkward. And so when I got there, um, predominantly it was white women, a few women of color, not many black women. And so the way it was set up, it was kind of like a fishbowl and everyone was sat like main speakers were sat in inside the, 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 the circle and then people could come in and like participate in the conversation. And the room was full of white women, but the white women did not participate in the conversation. It was mainly like women of color. Hmm. and they graciously like shared about their experience shared about their trauma and then white women were just sitting there like watching and listening but not participating and I thought it was like such a missed opportunity for so-called allies to be able to be part of a conversation and to have a safe space like no one is recording like it's not it's not you could just speak and ask questions and so when uh, towards the end of the conversation, I asked to to step in. And so I got to be in the middle and I said, instead of like just feeding into already pro like things that people were shedding that was, that was very intimate, I said, listen, I think that it's very awkward and weird that you are all white people that have not decided to participate. You just came here and like listen to people talk about their suffering. Once again, this this like kind of like setup of like by like you know uh BIPOC people talking about how hurt they are and then not feeling humanized because there's no legitimate interaction yeah. so I was like it feels voyeuristic and I don't like it and so from there I think that you know um a lot of them felt seen like they yeah. felt like targeted and I was targeting every single white woman in there and Hannah was there that day and then after we ran into each other and she told me about you know, that she felt seen, uh, she felt like it it resonated with her. And so she's decided to be active about it and start like a conversation in her living room with her friends about this. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, I left for a few months. I went to Israel for a few months, came back and she continued. And I thought it was cool. I was like, okay, cool. Well, she's not perform performing this, you know, mm -hmm. thing. She's keeping up with it. So uh then after that I proposed that we take this outside of the private setting and we we humanize conversations and like we create a podcast where we literally uh invite people to come mainly women but to come and to talk about their experience and to humanize these narratives that we usually see just through like a pain and suffering uh lens yeah and then yeah, that took a lot of, we got a lot of um, success with the podcast. And then finally, we were approached to write the book. Oh, that is incredible. Um, and, you know, as a Black woman, so kind of from the outside looking in, I, I will say it takes courage, um, Hannah, to, to follow up and then keep following up. Because I could imagine it is uncomfortable um, not it is uncomfortable learning new things maybe 
and mm-hmm. um and learning new things about yourself, not only about the world. And when you were talking about um, the women who were on the outside, who weren't um, participating, the white women, I kind of put myself in the shoes of a white woman because I, I always feel like since like 2020, like we've we've said to, you know, listen and learn. So it's like, should I just listen and learn or should I actually like step in? Did you have that like conversation in your head about whether, when is the appropriate time to to step in and speak up, Hannah? Absolutely. I was terrified because I just thought that if I were to say anything, it would be the wrong thing or it might not be well-received or how am I, who am I to take up Based in this conversation. And it wasn't until Izu got up and said, no, this is supposed to be a dialogue that requires your participation, that something clicked for me. And this was before 2020, when, you know, I think there was a little bit more dialogue around this from the white community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Izu is referred to 2020 as the racial big bang for white people, which I just think is so perfect. Um, So I realized when Izu called out the white women, like, oh yeah, like I'm completely guilty of this. So I tracked her down and yeah, it's been an extremely uncomfortable journey, but something that we always say is how important it is to lean into the discomfort. And I think for white women, there's such a difference between discomfort and actual threat, but we conflate the two. And we think Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, we we really are, our risk is much lower than, those of our friends of color so our discomfort I feel like is once we get used to it and leaning into it we recognize that it's really not so big and scary so the more that I do this work and we've been working together for the past four years as a kinswoman um, I'm getting used to the discomfort it's kind of like a constant companion for me but it's not as scary as it used to be Izu has said discomfort doesn't kill and it's just such a a good reminder that even if you feel discomfort as a white woman or person aspiring towards this work. That's no excuse to opt out and remove yourself from it. Mm, so well said. Um, so let's talk about what are the do's and don'ts of having these conversations? Uh, I don't know if you do, you want to take the lead on this or. Yeah, sure. I think that it goes with uh, each relationship uh, like there's no one kind of recipe to have this conversation because it depends of like the type of relationship when you have this person I think like creating context and the type of relationship that people have is really important and will dictate how you move like you can't talk to someone in the street the same way you speak to someone that's your friend and so I think we have to put that in context um, the book really focuses on interpersonal relationships. So like it's uh, speaking on people that are close already, either close um, in close like work or uh, intimate relationship or friendships. And so I think that that's a, a first understanding. Does this relationship makes me feel, gives me the, uh, the, the chance to have this conversation? Is this the right person? I think that's like really like a first uh what we saw a lot at some point was like a lot of random white people reaching out to random black people or people of color and be like oh so like I need to learn about this and it's like "Mm." but you don't know this person like I think that there's so many resources out there to start off with where you don't have to go to strangers or you can turn 
or they are willing to um, give you that space, but it's not a given. Like it had, it's part of boundary building with within relationships and knowing if you can have this conversation with this person or not. So I think that's a first. Um, don't assume that someone has uh, is there to help you grow. Like earlier you were saying, we told white people to like, just listen. I think that I continue to say white people need to listen and then entertain conversation within their own circles, mm -hmm. within spaces of other people like them trying to learn. And you, you, we do learn from our peers. And so like um, taking space uh, within like BIPOC, communities is going to be even if you are the kindest person on earth it's going to be harmful because you're just going to bring in like you know a part of you that doesn't know which is fair it's not a problem not to know but it's like is it a space that allows that or is it a space made for you for that and I, I think that we really need to put that in context like yes continue to listen and to learn and also learn to build your own spaces to have these conversations with people that are willing to support you in that journey. And then find people of color that are willing to, to give you a space to teach you if they want to teach you. Some people are not down for it. Like I have friends that are like, I'm not going to, I could never do what you do. I can never sit in a room with, with white people saying that they're nice people. And then, and, and I understand it. I completely understand it. And so like respecting the individuality of, of people is so important because then we've humanized them. Then we've, we've said you're people, you feel things and that we are, you're not there to serve me. And so mm -hmm. it's breaking away from this like systematic mindset that comes from white privilege white supremacy to say okay let me humanize this person let me see that they're not there for me and I can find another place because like so many people have been doing this for so long and yeah. so there's spaces that exist so I think these are two very very important um factors for me yeah um very very well said and I, I do have a question so for somebody like you who does this work and as an outsider looking in um because I don't do that type of work it seems like it might be something that could be like emotionally like draining in a sense, because you may have to like relive some traumas and reopen some some things. Right. So how do you take care of yourself? Um, like, yeah, to, to stay well, um, like mentally, emotionally, all of those things. Yeah, I, I, I uh, this book has reinforce the idea that I already had and was applying to myself is like finding community that supports me and humanize me, humanizes me completely. And I have white friends, obviously, but like, you know, it's not the same as being within your community. And like, that means differently for different people. But for me, it's being in places where I don't feel like I have to like feel at guard or mm -hmm. feel like something might come. And now, now we're in a conversation I didn't want to have, like just existing is like really a luxury for um, BIPOC people when you experience, like when you, when you are in a space where you're a minority. Um, so I, I really have reinforced this even through this book more than ever. But also um, the way I go about having these conversations is is always by like shifting this like dynamic that's always existed. Like the dynamics that always existed in regards to these conversations is like, you know, as a black person, uh, I come in and I tell my story and I say how hurt I am and I show that I bleed red like you. And it's just like, 
it hasn't worked. Like, obviously there's something missing. Yeah. Like there's something that's not clicking on the other side, even from really well-intended people. So to me, the way I want to shift this conversation, the way I approach these conversation is to say, like, look in within you mm-hmm. so that you can have a better impact on the outside. So mm-hmm. it's not so much as like, I'm fighting to humanize myself to you, but I'm 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 trying to tell people re like reintroduce humanity that's completely robbed from white supremacy right mm-hmm. within a white supremacist uh, dynamic there's humanity and um it's completely race so like when we're like but why don't they feel what we're feeling why don't they care it's because yeah. literally it's embedded in a, in a hierarchical of like gender race sexuality all these things and as a person that's black and a person of color, you fall into this like part where you're literally dehumanized for so many parts of you. So like I shift the conversation where I'm I'm putting the mirror in them and saying yeah. like, how are you failing yourself as a human? Because that is affecting my well-being and yeah. ultimately will affect my children. So it's like I start there and then it it guards me, it protects me from having to, you know, tell a a a personal story to people that I don't even know that don't know me like why would you care you know what I mean like even if you're like the nicest person on earth like mm-hmm. that's just not how the world actually works you know yeah so. yeah oh um so I want to ask you Hannah so you mentioned earlier that like now you kind of you always have that discomfort um mm-hmm. So how do you, as you you know the past four years have you been learning and unlearning um different things about yourself and the world how do you also how do you take care of yourself mentally emotionally as you may learn some some not so great things about you and just the world at large Mm, that's such a good question I think you're the first person to ask either of this this question like ever so I really (laughs) appreciate it um for me I I do yoga, like physically, I need to manage my energy. I very much live in my head. And when I can get back into my body, I feel way better. I just feel way more emotionally regulated. Um, But yeah, this does bring up a lot for me. I've really changed my whole lifestyle in the past several years. Stopping drinking um, made doing this work easier for me in the sense that I felt more clear I felt I had more energy, better days, because sometimes this work can feel really heavy. And I feel weird saying that for me, like as a white person, because it's a different kind of heaviness. But, um, you know, in the past several years, as I'm sure a lot of people have experienced, you know, seeing the ideological divides between your close friends, your family, and seeing those relationships rupture or not be what they you thought they were has caused a lot of pain, you know, like for me specifically and for so many people. So having people that I can talk to who understand um, like the work that I do, because white people don't necessarily embrace the work that I do or want to talk about it. Uh, So finding people, finding fellow white people who care in the same ways and kind of are at similar places on their allyship journey has been so important for for me. And that's led me to people that I never thought I would meet or be friends with or, you know, situations I never thought I'd be in. So for me, that's, those are the big things, like making sure my body emotionally and physically feels good 
yeah. getting enough sleep, um, you know, not drinking, trying to eat as healthily as possible and being around community who supports what I do because this work is such a big part of my life that I've just seen relationships over the years kind of fade out since starting Kins Women. Um, so yeah, my community, similarly to what Izu said, is really key for me for my well-being. Yeah, that, that has been um, such a common thread that I've been hearing of people who do work similar to both of you has been how community has been so important and how community has changed for them too since yeah. embarking in this journey. Um, and I, I think it also just speaks to how we, our society really like thrives on not prioritizing community and how it's important for our progress and for our even not collective progress, not only that, but like even our, our internal well-being, how community is just so, so important. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing that. So I, I kind of want to ask about, so since you mentioned your community, Hannah, um, I've been doing some thinking because it's about to be three years since, um, what do you call it? You called it the... The racial 20, big bang. The racial big bang. So it's about to be three years next month. And I was thinking about how nothing, like there has been minimal progress, right? Um, especially in talking about looking at corporations and all their big pledges and how they're going to diversify and yada, yada, yada. And I've seen very little progress. So my question is, in your community, um, have you seen people still have the same energy individually to learn and to undo the things that they were taught? I'm going to say no. No. I think for white people at large, we might think that things have changed only because we see these superficial signifiers of the pledges, like you mentioned, or people um, talking about it more at work or in school, you know, talking about DEI or CRT or like these buzzwords. And I think maybe white people have a little bit more of an awareness right now, but I think noticing that something's wrong is only like this, like the very first step. Yeah. So the energy and the urgency that we saw three years ago has waned so much. We've seen it in our work. So like we had people not because we started doing this before 2020. So when 2020 came, people were like knocking down our door, like, hey, can we pick your brain? Like, you know, mm -hmm. um, can you help me solve this problem? And we saw our podcast listens spike. You, I, I'm wondering if you saw similar mm -hmm. numbers and then mm -hmm. they just kind of fade, you know, back to, to normal. Mm -hmm. So I understand that urgency is not necessarily sustainable and outrage isn't sustainable, but I haven't seen from the white, community at large this big change yeah I haven't and even in my community where I do a lot of social justice work um the white people that I see who are most invested have a very personal connection to communities of color either either their child their children are biracial or yeah. they have a partner of color um which is the case for me too like I have a very personal connection but it needs to be so much bigger than that because people who just exist in white communities if they don't see that it, this work actually impacts all of us and lifts yeah. us all up then you know what's their incentive and it's such a shame like it's we, we don't even see performed of allyship anymore. Like we yeah. were seeing on social media all of 2020, we barely see that. So uh, 
I, you know, I'm noticing, I notice my friends who don't, you know, and that's, I think why we wrote the book is because this issue is still so important. It's more important than ever. And it always will be. And just because there's uh, not as much in the press, that doesn't mean we need to take our foot off the pedal. Agree. Agree. Um, excuse me. So what, so speaking of um, the post and like the performative allyship and everything, um, let's talk a little bit about um, the racism in the digital world. I think, <laughs> oh goodness gracious. Um, one thing that has been in forefront so I'm I'm on TikTok that's my my pleasure at night I scroll and um I have been seeing what's been going on right now it's like the Tarte makeup um the makeup company do you guys know what's going on with that so I give you like a really brief synopsis there's a makeup company named Tarte and they have for years they have never had a wide range of color selection um, for foundations and concealers and things then then um, a few years ago they said okay well we've extended our, our shade range so they had like maybe five different shades of literally orange okay like nobody was that color um, long story short, fast forward to today, um, they do these huge brand trips for like the influencers in the beauty community that are typically, they usually um, pick like white girls. This time they picked a cup, one black girl and she felt that she was going home early or something like that. Like it wasn't the same treatment. Um, so they had two other girls just come in her place because she decided to leave early. And so now the CEO of the cosmetics company is like asking for like, is saying that she's going to change and yada, 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 and treat all of the influencers equitably and yada, yada, yada. But we've been hearing this for years. Um, so talking about like the, the pay, the pay, the differences in pay between the white influencers versus the black ones, the accommodations of the white influencers versus the black ones, um, I think it speaks to one of your points in the book about the the racism in the digital age and i only could imagine that ai is only going to amplify that in some ways um so i said a lot so thoughts i saw izu's eyebrows go up <laughs> i mean the ai is a joke because i mean we it's not we're we're not waiting for it to be it's like already is because there's these like black models that are being created, for example, that are making so much money, working with so many brands, but they're created by white men. Yep. Yep. So it's like um uh, all these creation of AI that people are loving and whatever, like are created by white owned companies and white men. And so it's 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 we're we're still in the same system. So the the issues are going to be presented differently, but it's like it's almost having like uh when you have you know we have a you have a disease you have it and I have it but then we have different symptoms and then you start taking medicine and then the 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 you know your body starts adapting to the new new medicine so you have other symptoms like there's new symptoms that show that's exactly how these issues come up it's like we are not dealing with the roots of the problem right. so going to continue to show up a new medium like yeah we talked about blackface little blackface of like uh back in the day where people you know color their skin and whatever but then we we uh we have now blackface in a different way the yeah. digital 
place. And so it's like, it's the same issue because the core, the root of the issue, the systematic issue that exists is still in function, fully in function. And because like, I think, you know, the performative thing is permitted because um, I think BIPOC communities are so happy when something seems to give, right? But it's like, it's, I'm, I'm never for the mediocrity. Like, I don't, I, I see mediocrity coming hot when it comes to me, because it's like, I know this is just so superficial, you know, yeah. like, I know that it's like you just want to seem like you're doing something, but you're not really doing it. I want to know who owns the company. I want to know, like, people are so excited to see AI, like, artificial um, creation be, like, Black people and, like, you know, see these, like, cool, there's, like, these, all these, like, made-up models of, like, these older Asian um, AI-made of, uh, models with like tattoos and, and shit it's it's not it's the community is not winning from that like it's right. still so I think that like I I think that we're going to continue seeing performative actions because we're not asking the right questions and because people are not pressing it hard like we need to put the boot on the neck and press until we get exactly what we want which is like being at the root of the things and like getting into like the most uncomfortable part and a lot of the times they stay superficial because we yeah. think something is giving but it's not giving you know so unfortunately we see it in social media we see it in everything and like um any type of system or space is going to show it's going to show up it's it's going to exist um it's up for people not just people of color by the way it's also the responsibility of uh white people that claim to be allies to ask themselves questions and to press one thing about america is money speaks so loud and okay. we have power like we have money power and even if it doesn't seem like that, even if it doesn't like, even if it's, it's, uh, there's this whole propaganda of like, you know, black money isn't worth anything. It's not true. Right. And especially in spaces like the makeup industry, are you kidding me? Like there's so much money. That's why you have brands that automatically understood that they had to diversify their foundation and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I've mm -hmm. been on it for like forever. And so, but for me, it's like, why do we, why do we even care? Like a company that doesn't want to, make new shades it's like how, why do i care like i have right. Bobby, i have rihanna's fenty i have other like we put our money where people i want to go in rooms where i feel like there's somewhat of a possibility of conversation yes. if we're talking about you making a shade for my color of skin you're not that's like not right. even one level it's like right. okay sis go back <laughs> three right like chat three books before and sit down with like why you need to it's even to make money it's not even like you don't have to love the people but like why aren't you making skin tones that are mm -hmm. speaking to a wider range so you can make money and I think that like that's the problem people always think that like specifically in these spaces where we're talking about money it's like oh we're trying to be kind it's like there's always this dynamic of like allyship being uh presented at like some type of um you know um like altruism charity. Okay. yeah like mm -hmm. charity it's like there's no charity you're still mm -hmm. going to be making money you're still going to be winning if you listen to your potential public that's saying make something for me you know what i'm saying yeah. so yeah that's that's my point of view so you mentioned asking the right questions so what questions should we be asking 
of the companies and aside from makeup, like what should we, what are the right questions that we should be acting, asking? I think that people should be asking who's like, who has the real power? Who has power of decision? Uh, Not just the representation, like who has power of decision? Who these people are? Because not all, like, can folks, are, uh, like, is it skin yeah. folks? Are, you know what I mean? Like, we mm-hmm. need to see who these people are. Are they really, act, at, you know, trying to do something for the community? Are they really, like, part of trying to change things? And so uh, the the system at place is really strong. And, like, we are affected by it. White people are affected by it, and we're affected by it. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be asking, like, who really has power of decision, and why aren't they? Why haven't they done it before? Mm-hmm. What was stopping them? Like understanding the ideology and the root of like what has held them to not move forward and not mm-hmm. to evolve. And if there's things that they can pinpoint, then maybe you have a chance of changing things. But if they can't even pinpoint what is it that has made them stay where they are, then they need to start stop asking us to mm. your stuff, try to get consulting and asking how do you address this these blind spots, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise you're just, it's like a cracked table. You're just fixing the paint. You're not fixing the table. So it's yeah. like, it's always going to be problematic. You're just going to have to add a, a, a layer of coat yeah. uh, all the time, maybe six months, but you haven't fixed the table. So that's that's what it is. It's like asking the deeper questions, understanding if the company really understands where the blind spot is and if they have a plan at addressing these blind spots. And God knows there's so many consulting companies. There's so many people that are willing to make money out of this. So just like, it's not that hard, you yeah. know? Uh, for me, I, I think if you keep painting the, the same crack table over and over again, you made a decision. Like yeah. you can see it's cracked. You see, yeah. you have to come back and keep painting it. Like you're, you made a decision. You don't want it to be fixed. Like you're okay with the crack in the table. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, um, I like the, the journey of your friendship and how you became friends and, um, what are some realities that people may not know about, um, of interracial relationships and and friendships? Um, and I'll let you take this one. We wrote this book because we wanted to demystify some of the stereotypes about interracial relationships and friendships. And we often say that our friendship does not signify any kind of post-racial utopia or ideal, that the complexities and the power dynamics that exist between us and other interracial friendships and relationships, whether that's at work, you know, at home, are there. Like, we can't just overlook and say, oh, because we're in love or because I love my friend, like there's no issue because the world is going to treat you a certain way. We come with our ancestors' histories. Uh, We come with our own trauma. So we really try to demystify the the kind of like um, rainbows and butterflies idea that can sometimes come along with um, pictures or images of interracial friendships. So in our friendship and in the book, we write about these four foundations of building trust in any interracial friendship and relationship. And these can be used really in any relationship, but I think in interracial friendships from white people, we want to bypass like all of the ickiness and like just be friends. Yep. So we talk about um, 
trust requires time, transparency, consistency, and communication. And we go into those four things because really allyship and friendship have so much in common. Like when we first started working together, together, Izu was like, you know, just like a friendship, you need time to build trust. You don't just instantly become a friend and you don't instantly become an ally. And the person to whom you wish to be an ally is really the person who gets to decide if the other person is being one. So I think those are some of the things that in interracial friendships and relationships, um, those are some myths like that proximity equals allyship automatically. And that's not true. There's so much work has to be done behind the scenes. And the consistency piece is like, it's not about a one and done, you know, book or um, donation or event. It really takes so much ongoing effort and willingness to be wrong too. Like from the white person's part, for me, it's like recognizing where my defenses and ego and resistance is and just understanding where that comes from and understanding how that hurts you know, mm. Izu or another friend or my partner. Um, we always want to believe we're really good people, but of course, like it's about the impact and it's mm -hmm. not about the intention. Mm -hmm. You you hear that that term a lot, but I think it when it comes to interracial friendships and relationships, like we ignore the discomfort from the white side because we just want to believe like we're good people, we're allies. But if you're not having those like deep and messy conversations, like, is it really a true friendship? And if, if you don't feel like you can share, everyone can share like the, their full spectrum of who they are. Is it a real friendship? So those are the things that we are encouraging our readers and listeners to investigate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, ladies. Um, I am going to link the book down below. Um, Real Friends talk about race, bridging the gaps through uncomfortable conversations. Super, super important read um, for all of us. Um, thank you so much for your time. And I'll also, of course, um, link your podcast down below as well. So please go listen, go follow, subscribe, all of those good things. Um, thank you so much. Um, is there anything that you would like to add? anything that I missed no I'm just happy that you invited us into your space and uh, I hope that this brings some type of space for conversation absolutely I think this is such a, a beautiful gateway I think this would be like a good like book club or just like friends reading together um yes. really really good and like read a chapter chat about it read another chapter chat some more really really great conversation starter thank you for your work ladies and thank you so much for your time Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thanks, Cassandra. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.